You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We've got a huge Monday night football game tonight. The Rams and the Cardinals, the under-discussed Cardinals, who are probably the best in the NFL right now, taking on a Rams team that is desperate for a win. We'll get into that. We also have cancellations, the first of the, the kind in the NBA this year with the Bulls games being canceled due to COVID, the NHL canceling games. Today, the highest number of players positive for COVID in the NFL since COVID began. We're going to get to all of that as well. But first, a pretty wild Sunday in the NFL where we saw some teams eke by with a win, but we wonder just how confident we are with them after they nearly let it go. And a few teams come all the way back only to lose in heartbreaking fashion. Who are we hot on? Who are we out on? Let's get into it. It's Spain and Fitz. Solo Spain for the first hour here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented, as always, by Progressive Insurance. Guests are going to join me on the Goodyear hotline. And I want to start with the Buffalo-Tampa Bay game. That was obviously the, the cream of the crop this weekend. All eyes were on both of those teams to see if Tampa Bay is still... The odds-on favorite, the most consistent team week in and week out, and whether Buffalo could manage a win, redeem themselves after that heartbreaking loss, that ugly loss to the Pats last week. And it looked like an absolute laugher early on. This was a game that I predicted that the Bucks would win, but in a high-scoring affair because of the way these defenses matched up with the opposing offenses. Early on, Buffalo couldn't do anything. In fact, in the first half, they didn't hand off to a running back once, not one time, all eight of their design runs in the first half were Josh Allen using his legs. And they it was ugly. And we and we know that they're not a balanced team and we know that they struggle to use the run game. But even with that being said, to have no rushes from a running back, and and we know that the Bucks run defense is spectacular, but to not test it at all and to not see if they could find a little bit more balance or a little bit more respect for the passing by at least trying to put the ball in a running back's hands was sort of shocking. And not surprisingly, it wasn't a good recipe for success. They get down big, but then they're down 17 with 11 minutes to go and manage to fight back to force overtime. That, of course, allows for the incredible heroics from Tom Brady. I think Buffalo should have gone for it at the end there instead of kicking for the tie. That's a really risky move, and you just saw earlier in the season against the Titans, they went for it. It didn't happen. They could have tied it up and forced overtime, given themselves a chance. Maybe that's lingering in their heads. Maybe a terrible non-PI call, and they're wondering if they're going to get the call on the next one if they go for it. Either way, they decide to go for a tie, and now you're, you're giving Tom Brady another chance, and that's never a good plan. Uh, especially with 700 dangling out there for him. So, of course, Brady to Rashad Perriman for the win kind of D-bearing down on him. He just soft-touched it to Perriman. 700th touchdown all-time is the OT game winner, which leaves us wondering how much of this is the Bucks, and, and do we have any doubts about them? Stephen A. Smith said this morning on first take he now has some doubts about the Bucks because they didn't look that good against a not-very-good Bills team. For me, that's just a little bit of a letdown. For me, that's just, you know... We're so hot. We're so far up that this second half, we're coming in a little lackadaisical, which means the same in reverse to me. I'm not that impressed by the Bills for for pulling it close and forcing overtime. Yeah, it's better than lying down and taking it, but I'm not particularly hype on the Bills because they found some fight in them to force a, a, a meaningful game to make it interesting. 
Because again, there is no way that we can remove the context from that to understand that the second half performance from the Bucks was about probably that huge lead they had and how they had manhandled them in the first half. So no, I'm still way high on the Bucks, and I'm still very concerned about the Bills. The only thing they have going for them is a very easy schedule going forward. They've got the Pats again, and that's obviously a big one. But otherwise, it's the Panthers, the Falcons, and the Jets. I still think it's very possible the Bills make the postseason. I do not think it's very possible that the Bills do anything once they get there. Josh Allen had to do so much in that game. And they just don't have the balance. Something is wrong with that Bills team. I'm still trying to figure out how they scored six against the Jags. I'm still trying to figure out what happened that week. Either way, the inconsistency kills them. So I'm, I'm, I didn't leave that game feeling any worse about the Bucks or any better about the Bills, unfortunately. It's Spain and Fitz, solo Spain for the first hour here, talking about some of the big games uh, on Sunday. The other one is Cleveland-Baltimore. And man, at Jason RMH hit me up during this game and said, no Browns lead is ever safe as long as the Browns are in the game. And that is very true. If the Browns are involved, there is no safe lead. This was ugly. Uh, They didn't score after halftime for so long after taking this big lead. Lamar Jackson goes out with an injury. And instead of asserting their dominance even more, the Browns just start to crumble especially near the end. Stuff like, you know, the onside kick that could have ended it and you've got a Browns player looking for a block instead of going for the ball, didn't even see the ball. Thankfully for Cleveland, their defense held on at the end there and a clowny sack and a great tackle from Ward and they managed to keep the win, but it wasn't something that made you feel particularly strongly about them. And on the other side, man, the Ravens. You know, Lamar Jackson taking a beating the likes of which we have not seen before. He's taking... An average of 16 hits a game this year. That's the highest rate by any quarterback in the last 15 years. He's been sacked a league high 37 times entering yesterday's game, which was already the most in any single season of his career. And this from the guy that we've been saying all year has been having to single-handedly carry the game, accounting for 78% of the Ravens' offensive yards entering yesterday's game, passing or yards gained. That's the seventh highest of any player, and that's missing a game to illness. So this is a team that hangs in the balance on how Lamar Jackson is playing, and now they've lost him. The good news is it's a lower ankle injury, not a high ankle sprain. If you're going to sprain your ankle, you want to hit that lower, not higher. But we don't know yet how long he'll be out for. The Ravens have already placed 23 players on injured reserve at some point this season. It's unbelievable the hits they've taken. To still be in it is impressive, but this is a team that's been dwindling in recent weeks, and this injury is not going to help. The final game we're going to get into a lot more later, and that is the Chiefs and and the Vegas Raiders. Uh, Vegas Raiders decided to take a little pre-team, pre-game meeting on the logo. That's what Patrick Holmes said about that. You definitely don't want people coming into your stadium and trying to like disrespect uh, things that that you've kind of built. Um, and so for us, um, just gave us a little bit more, a little bit more motivation to go out there and, and win against a really good football team that we have a rivalry against that usually is a, a tough, a tough football game. So uh, I think guys were ready to play today and I think it showed on the field. Yeah, it sure did. Not that they needed your help Raiders, but you gave them some anyway, they would have probably done that anyway. In hindsight, we could say it was about stomping on the logo, but Couple notes on that. The Raiders logo stomp, Roger Sherman of the Ringer says, that was the last time the Raiders offense would get to midfield until shortly before halftime. 
the Raiders had more turnovers than Patrick Mahomes had incomplete passes on the day. And of course, as they left, in honor of the Raiders taking that lap around Casey's field last time they won, the Chiefs played the wheels on the bus go round and round as they left the field. All in all, it was pretty ugly. And Fitz is going to tell us more about that later. You can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. ESPN Nation's presented by Dr. Pepper. College football bowl season is here, and fans are hyped. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper. The one fans deserve. What I want from you is the most ridiculous fact or stat from the weekend. Something like the Raiders having more turnovers than Mahomes had in complete passes. Hit me up. Let me know what you got. Coming up, an NFL insider is going to join us to talk about the one thing that may keep Urban Meyer in Jacksonville after this season. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. A lot of conversation about Urban Meyer as the Jags not only lost, but a shutout this time, ending a long streak, a proud streak. I think the sixth longest in the NFL without shutouts. Urban Meyer fighting with assistants, fighting with players. I presume with fans who are frustrated with the outcome. We'll get into that and more NFL now here on Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, Sarah Spain. We're going to give you the straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless with Charles Robinson, Yahoo Sports senior NFL reporter who wrote a story for Yahoo Sports about Urban Meyer. The headline, here's what's protecting Urban Meyer right now. The Jaguars owe him a ton of money. Well, it hasn't stopped Shad Khan in the past to have to pay coaches that he's no longer technically employing, but you think this time, Charles, it might be too much. Yeah, I just think the way that, you know, Shad Khan went about the hire, you know, this was the whole program building, turn it all around, you know, put Trevor Lawrence in place and, and build this thing from the ground up with a guy who, you know, again, Khan just celebrated over and over. He knows how to build the culture and all these different things. And, you know, from what I understand, we're talking about a guy with a six-year deal. And, um, you know, I have a friend in the agent business who keeps really uh, concise numbers on what guys are getting paid. And he said Urban Meyer's in the $9 million a year range. Okay, so that makes him, you know, a $50-plus million coach. If you're going to move on from him at this point, you're going to have to probably replace him with a $50-plus million coach. So it's a $100 million decision mm-hmm. in a way to, to move on from Urban Meyer at this point. And, you and I both know NFL owners don't like to admit small mistakes. This looks like a big mistake and a very expensive mistake. So I think Khan's like, let's let this play out and see if there's some sort of revelatory moment where you can turn this around. Not just the hiring, not just the money, but I believe when he hired him during his introductory presser, he said something like, I know this time I finally got the right guy. <laughs> so you know that that specific language, that quote will come back to be played over and over and over again if he doesn't even make it a year. But how much money do you have sunk into that rookie QB? And right now, is it a question of one or the other? Are you too worried about the damage being done to Trevor Lawrence because of this incredibly chaotic first year? Right. I, that's the whole enchilada here. I, we can talk about the assistant coaches and we can talk about James Robinson, the running back rotation, all these different things and, and every other you know misstep that Urban Meyer has made along the way. But the long game here is Trevor Lawrence. And if you're Shad Khan, the decision, the priority has to be made based on what are you doing to the kid? Is it affecting him? Is he regressing? He looked like this Sunday it was his worst game um, of his NFL career thus far. It's that which would signal some regression. And I think it's also troubling that, you know, A, in the reporting that has come out, you know, the, the source reporting that came out from the NFL Network, 
you had Trevor Lawrence asking why James Robinson wasn't playing. Mm-hmm. Huge red flag for a quarterback to have to go to the coach and be like, why he's clearly our best running back. Why is the guy not playing right now? So that would indicate that Trevor Lawrence at least feels affected in some way by decisions that are being made by that staff and Urban Meyer. And then secondly, if you, you look at the post-game presser after this weekend's uh, loss to Tennessee, not just performance-based questions, but Trevor Lawrence is getting asked a lot about Urban Meyer and what he's doing. And, and this is like the worst possible track you want to put the kid on where not only does he have to worry about his own performance, but now he's expected to speak out in some way, way shape, or form about the health of the locker room as it pertains to the head coach. That's just a terrible um, you know, precedent to set at this point in his career. It's pretty ugly, uh, and you're right, that money may keep him around, which means more bottoms that we can find. We thought we hit bottom many times already, but apparently there are more. Charles Robinson, Yahoo Sports Senior NFL Reporter, with me here on the Goodyear Hotline on Spain and Fitz. Let's talk about the weekend. I was just talking about the Bucks. Stephen A. said this morning he's worried about them after that performance. To me, that second half is just a team that lets down because of a huge lead. I don't feel any worse about the Bucks, and I don't really feel any better about the Bills because they managed to take a team that was sitting back on their heels in the second half and make it interesting how about you yeah I don't I look they the way they handled the Bills defense particularly in that first half that that's what was surprising to me I mean it was they physically handled Buffalo and Buffalo has a a good defense there's no question about it I think one upside here is regardless of how you feel about Antonio Brown all the skill position pieces including Leonard Fournette you know Rob Gronkowski looks great all these skill position, position pieces are playing really well and I don't think Tom Brady's cutting Antonio Brown when he comes back, regardless of what happened with the vaccine card, whatever, because the ultimate end goal is to win a Super Bowl. And I think the Bucks, Tom Brady, Bruce Arians, they all know if you add Antonio Brown to this mix, if he is healthy coming off the ankle injury, you're ultimately going to be putting an extra piece on the field that no matter what, teams are going to have difficulty not having one extremely uh, poor mismatch. You can't match up with Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, uh, Rob Gronkowski and Antonio Brown and have a very highly functioning Leonard Fournette. And I mean, it would have to be an utter complete breakdown by the protection um, of, a, of a really good offensive line for them to not be the type of offense that can boat race anybody throughout the playoffs. So um, I think the defense is playing better. I'm with you. I just thought that second half was, you know, they, they pulled back a little bit. It, it bit them. And, and look, Josh Allen, there's a yeah, reason why he's considered a top back. five quarterback. He got out of heater and looked great. Yeah. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz. We're going to talk a little bit about AB a little bit later in the show because Arian's not making it clear for sure whether he'll be welcome back after the suspension ends. Let's talk about Dak. What's wrong with Dak? That was an ugly win for Cow- for the Cowboys, and it was uh, an ugly outing for Dak. Yeah, I, I, you know, the, the decision-making is not great right now. I, I think they're a little imbalanced. It's a team that early on, what we really liked about them, they ran the football really well. You know, the, Zeke's been banged up for a long time. Tony Pollard being taken out of the mix there. I mean, t- Tony Pollard's a huge piece of that offense. But then also Blake Jarwin. You lose him. You know, Dalton Schultz, the, the tight end usage has, has waned since early in the season. Um, and, you're, and you're leaning on Dak a lot to, to make some of these plays. He threw two terrible interceptions. That's what makes me a little nervous mm-hmm. is that it's been a while where I've seen him just throw two really awful balls, which he did. But – the flip side of that, I think Dallas's defense is going to be the unit that really has a chance to continue to, to kick it into another gear. You know, uh, you get Demarcus Lawrence back. He's back now. Michael Parsons could certainly be in the defensive player of the year conversation. Um, you know, Trevon Reed, you have 
Um, you know, Randy Gregory, a tip and a pick yesterday. Randy Gregory looks fantastic. I still think the, the Cowboys, if they can get the running game back and healthy, which may not happen, have a chance to be as balanced as they were early in the season and very capable of taking on any team in the NFC in the playoffs. We only have about a minute or so left, Charles, and it's Charles Robinson, Yahoo Sports Senior NFL reporter. Um, does tonight's performance by the Cardinals have any uh, di- dictate for you at all who the best team in the league is right now, or is it somebody other than the Cardinals for you? No, I imagine. I, I think the Cardinals, already they've already proven, like, hey, anybody you put in front of the Cardinals, including when uh, Kyler Murray was down, defensively they're capable of, of winning games and, and supporting a backup quarterback. Kyler Murray came in, played against the Bears, I thought he's going to be rusty. Maybe this will be sort of a slow start. No, not at all. He hit he hit his stride. Continue to look like an MVP caliber quarterback. Um, you know, I'd love to see the Rams with Patrick Ram or excuse me, Jalen Ramsey on the field. He's Patrick Ramsey. Uh, I, you know, Tyler Higby. I wish they weren't hit by right. COVID right now, but it's still a very functional, good LA Rams team. No matter how people feel about Matt Stafford, it's still a declaration game for Arizona. They win this game going away. I think we can stop talking about whether or not Arizona is rightfully at the top of the conversation for the best team in the NFL. And maybe we can start talking about Arizona because they sure don't get the love and the publicity of a lot of other teams in the league, despite how successful they've been. Uh, they're top of the list for me and have been for quite some time. I think you're right, though. It's a bummer we won't see a fully strength, a full-strength Rams team against them tonight. Thanks for the insight, Charles. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Everybody go check out Yahoo Sports. Here's what's protecting Urban Meyer right now. The Jags owe him a ton of money. That's the headline on Charles's most recent piece on Yahoo Sports. He was giving you the straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, just referred to it. The Rams got some bad news today. COVID hits the team. How will that affect their ability to slow down Kyler Murray and others tonight? That and more in our Monday night spotlight. It's coming up next. Spain and Fitz, solo Spain for the first hour here on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, solo Spain for the first hour here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're going to get a little Monday night football preview as we get ready for Rams-Cardinals tonight. Let's get it. The rest of Monday night is given over to those gargantuan goliaths of the gridiron. Setting the scene for another Monday night football showdown. That bouncing behemoth ballet known better as professional football here's the monday night spotlight on spain and fitz starting us off with the rams perspective it's espn rams reporter lindsey theory lindsey thanks for the time let's get right into it this is a rams team that desperately needs a win against a good team sure they beat up on the jags last week but before that it was losses to the packers to the niners to the titans how big of a game is this tonight This is a huge game for them, Sarah. I mean, they went into this talking about how this is like a playoff situation, essentially. Uh, They still feel they can get to the Cardinals in the division race, but they also know that it's really going to be an uphill battle, especially with the news today that those guys are out. uh, Several guys are going to be out on the COVID list. 
Yeah, Jalen Ramsey, Tyler Higby joining their growing COVID list ahead of the game. That's huge. This is already very tough offense to defend against. Obviously, Kyler Murray. A huge factor for me, I think, is how much the Rams defensive line can disrupt Murray. Does that feel like a focus for this team tonight? Yeah, absolutely. And it's been almost a point of frustration for them. Um, you know, they added Vaughn Miller ahead of the trade deadline, but he hasn't even recorded his first sack. I know sacks are, are a number that we as the media tend to obsess over, but he actually admitted he pays a big atten- uh, pays a lot of attention to those sack numbers, too. He wants to get his first sack as a Ram, and, and there some, is some frustration setting in that they're not able to get to the quarterbacks as these guys get the ball out so quickly. So the hope is that tonight um, they'll get Vaughn on the board with his first sack as a Ram, but also – just be able to continue to keep the pressure on Kyler Murray just because he's so dynamic with his legs. Yeah, what can be the strengths for the Rams tonight? What If they're going to win, what's the game plan that gets them there? Uh, well, I think you're going to have to see a really clean game from Matthew Stafford, which is going to be really interesting, uh, given he has a backup center playing. They have a backup playing at right tackle with Rob mm. to sign out. But I think you're going to have to see a turnover-free performance from him. I think you're going to have to see Sony Michelle last week against the Jaguars. We saw Sean McVay commit to the run behind Sony Michelle. Now, kind of easy to do when you're playing the Jaguars. Uh, but we'll have to see if they are able to play that physical brand of football, if they're willing to play that physical brand of football against the Cardinals. Uh, because so often, Sean McVay tends to get away from the run, and it really has been a staple of his offense when they are successful in the past. Lindsay Theory, ESPN NFL Nation, Rams reporter with us here on Spain and Fitz uh, for the Monday night preview by Progressive. Uh, Lindsay, uh, this team on the outside, as far as we're concerned as, as fans and as media, we're all or nothing. They got to go. They got to win it this year. They put all their chips in. Does it feel like that pressure has gotten inside the building as well? Yeah, the pressure's no doubt inside the building. Look, and they always say, look, we're always in win now, but we always want to win. But the bottom line is they know in the building what they've given up, and they might say, oh, well, we have eight picks next year because we have all the compensatory picks and whatnot, but no, no, no. This team hasn't made a first-round selection since 2016. They've found a way to kind of mortgage all of those for all these star players. But when you look at the Vaughn Millers, I mean, these guys are free agents after the season. Matthew Stafford's going into a contract year, um, so they're going to have to pay him. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, this is all kind of slowly starting to catch up. We're seeing that on the bottom half of the roster with the drop-off in talent. Um, so they're no doubt in a win-now situation. Absolutely. Well, enjoyed the game tonight, Lindsay. Thanks for the time. Thanks, Sarah. Let's head over to the other side. ESPN NFL Nation Cardinals reporter with us, Josh Weinfuss. Josh, the Cardinals are a team that I think is not getting talked about enough. They just don't have somehow the sexy name, even though we know they got the sexy coach's house. Why are we not talking about the Cardinals as the best team in the NFL? It's a pretty sexy house, isn't it, right? Yeah, it is a very sexy house. That house can get it. (laughs) It's because this team, every time people want to talk about this team on a national scale, it's always the Cardinals one, but the Cardinals are good, but there's always, for some reason, they think that they, they just aren't that good. They aren't good enough. You know, they think that they have this college coach who went 35 and 40 and at Texas Tech, and he's just not good enough. They think they have too short of a quarterback. There's always some reason, and I can't put my finger on to why. Maybe it's because of their history. They've never won a championship or a Super Bowl. They've, you know, they, they've gone to one Super Bowl in history. There's always some reason why people generally don't think this franchise is good or could win, you know, consistently. Well, no, look where they are. They're 10-2, and two, best record in the NFL. Coach of the Year candidate. They have an MVP candidate at quarterback. I mean, this team, if you look at the roster up and down, 
this team has one of the best, if not the best, roster in all of football. And to me, it's a Super Bowl caliber team. And it's a team that we did not expect to be this great when the season started, especially in division where we had a number of other teams better than them mm-hmm. that have not been. 10-2 and two now. Let's talk about the defense. As much as we can talk about their team's ability to succeed even when D-Hop and Murray were out, that was the defense holding them up, and they really haven't gotten a lot of shine this year. They haven't. They haven't. Especially, they got even less shine after J.J. Watt went out with his injury. I mean, right. Right? I mean, you have Chandler Jones, who's a perennial defensive player of the year candidate. You have um, Marcus Golden, who's good for 10 sacks a year. Babuda Baker is a Pro Bowl safety. Um, they've, you know, Their corners are playing above and beyond what anyone ever expected. And Marco Wilson, he's a rookie. Um, Robert Alford, he hasn't played in two years. I mean, they're finding guys to, to produce where we're, we want to have expected guys to produce, right? And, and, but then again, you also have two first-round picks at inside linebacker and Isaiah Simmons and David Collins. But I think the unsung hero of this defense really is Jordan Hicks. You know, he's a veteran linebacker, inside linebacker. He's, he's, he's the brains of the whole operation. He kind of makes this whole thing tick. Um, and, you know, he was possibly being replaced by David Collins before the season. They drafted his replacement and called him and told him, and he said, you know what, I'm going to come back and I'm going to play better than everyone ever expected. And that's exactly what he's done. But you look up up front, they're good. Um, in the middle, they're they're good. In the back, they're good. I mean, they just have a lot of uh, talent and depth. I mean, this team, I think, from front to back on defense, is probably as talented as it's been since 2015 when the Cardinals went to the NFC Championship. It's Spain and Fitz talking to Josh Weinfest as we continue our Monday Night Football preview cards Rams tonight. What's the secret to the cards getting the win tonight? I think, you know, Kyler Murray has to get going quickly. They have, to, they have to keep this offense kind of rolling. They love to go up-tempo. And I think if they can put up you know, two touchdowns in the first quarter, it's going to be real hard for the Rams to catch up. Yeah, Josh, uh, obviously this is a team that is pretty successful across a number of, of places, but 27th in the NFL against the run, 29th in yards allowed per rush. Is that a focal mm-hmm. point for them as they're trying to shore up some of their weak spots? Uh, yes, it might be the number one focal point because you know there's a lot of a lot of parts of the team are very very good, but their run defense it struggles week in and week out, and they look great in week one against Derrick Henry in Tennessee, held them to I think it was 58 yards, and ever since then it's been downhill. And teams know how to beat them, right? You pound them on the ground, you eat clock, you don't let Kyler Murray stay on the field, and if they want to, if they want to, you know, not just make a run to the Super Bowl, if they want to win the Super Bowl this year, which I think they're more than capable of doing, they need to shore up their run defense and make sure that guys just can't run through them like warm butter. That's really what it comes down to. Hey, is anyone over there talking about Cliff Kingsbury in Oklahoma? Because I'll tell you what, there was a sure sign of him being suspect when he said the Bears were a good team. I was like, that sounds like a cover. That's a cover for something. He's lying to us. Uh, Is there really any talk out there about him leaving? Oh, no, no. I mean, you know, Oklahoma has their guy. To me, someone close to Cliff told me that it was all strategy. It was all him trying to, you know, parlay that into a contract extension sooner rather than later. Now, my question is, how is the owner going to feel about being strong-armed publicly? Which, he, he you know, he, the one thing he – in all the years that I've covered Michael Bidwell, the one thing he does not like is when his head coaches have too much power. And I don't think that he appreciated – Cliff's agent leaking that and trying to get ahead of that. Um, you know, Cliff is due for an extension, obviously, but the thing, you know, we're only 12 games into the, or 12, you know, they're only, what, 13 games into the season so far. They're 10 and 2. I don't think you can start giving him an extension yet. You need to see 
how the season plays out because of what happened last year when they lost, you know, they went three and six to finish the year. So um, I, I do think he will get that extension. I think they're going to try to keep him and Kyler Murray together for as long as possible. But to do it the way that they did it, I don't think um, was the right approach. I think it rubbed some people in the organization wrong. Well, he'll send a nice thank you card to Brent Venables for uh, letting him uh, play the game a little bit as, as he was uh, trying to use that for his own benefit. Josh, thanks for the insight. Enjoy the game tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. Josh Weinfuss, ESPN NFL Nation Cardinals reporter, brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Pet protection comes free with auto collision coverage. Visit Progressive.com. Coming up on Spain and Fitz. I don't know how your weekend went, but I'm telling you, it could have been worse. We'll get into it next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. This is Spain and Fitz. The pick five portion of it is pretty easy. The loser's going to have to write a parody song uh, for the winner. And that's that's pretty easy given the fact that we extolling are... Extolling the virtues of the I, opposing yes. host, yes. I was never going to come with extolling the virtues as a sentence that I could actually complete. <laughs> Check this out. Though. First of all, you're throwing too many big words at me. We have a polar plunge on the line. So polar wow, plunge for Polar picks plunge for is... our preseason... <laughs> mm-hmm. Polar plunge for our preseason pick portion. Yes, which is not going to be good for my... Never mind, I won't use another word that starts with P. My twig and berries. Uh, Fitz is going to be so sad when he learns I was 5-0 this week in my picks. That's right, 5-0. and oh, It just keeps getting better for your girl. Everything's coming up Spain. It's Spain and Fitz. Fitz going to join me about 15 minutes here on the ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget... To tune into That's What She Said, the podcast hosted by yours truly and fueled by Gatorade. We appreciate their continued support of women's sports journalists and athletes here at ESPN and everywhere. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade's proven formula is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. Last week's episode still up with Ivan Maisel. Really thoughtful, profound conversation about grief and his new book. Tomorrow, Chef Edward Lee from Top Chef, my new friend who is a blast and hilarious. So check that out. Uh, Some of you may have uh, watched my Chicago Bears and Jason Fitz's Raiders take some big L's this weekend. We will get into that. Uh, So we were losers. Uh, We didn't have good weekends, but it could have been worse. You thought you had a bad weekend. Phil, there is a tiger in the bathroom. You ain't seen nothing yet. I better get out of here while the getting's good. It could have been worse on Spain and Fitz. That's right. I'm actually going to start with that Green Bay Chicago game because it could have been worse if you had a bad weekend because it would have been topped off if you were a Bears fan by listening to the Sunday night football announcers basically anoint Aaron Rodgers as Jesus. Listen, I'm used to this. Superstars get superstar treatment. A lot of pumping of the tires on great quarterbacks, especially on national games. I'm cool with it. In fact, I used to be an Aaron Rodgers fan. I think he's a fantastic quarterback. But when you start saying stuff like, have you seen a guy be more honest about Aaron Rodgers who famously lied about being vaccinated and talked about unvaccinated people in the third person? If you start saying stuff like, oh, when you go through the uh, the uh, vaccinated, immunized affair that he did, You really start to know who's in your camp. You know another great way to know who's in your camp? Whether they lie to you about being vaccinated for a virus that's killed 5 million people. It was too much for me. And I'm used to it. And those guys do a nice job. But, oh, man. At least we had a couple fun plays to watch while we were listening to a 
three-hour session praising Aaron Rodgers. The good news is whoever was doing the sound for Sunday Night Football was on top of it. Here are some of the tunes that they played while showing Aaron Rodgers, either running onto the field, going to break. They played He Blinded Me With Science. They played Would I Lie To You? And my personal favorite, Big Shot. So shouts to whoever was doing the tunes for Sunday Night Football. You made it okay to stick around despite the three hours of Al and Collinsworth once again uh, turning Aaron Rodgers into a deity. It was bad enough to take that L. That made it worse. Another could have been worse is uh, if you're our own Ryan Clark working alongside Rex Ryan, just trying to show up to work, talk about some football, give some insight. When all of a sudden Rex starts talking about the aforementioned deity Aaron Rodgers and his toe problems, and you have trouble staying in your seat and uh, contributing to the segment. Here's what it sounded like. Listen, I'm a toe expert. Um, <laughs> let's just say this. Damn, ain't nothing wrong with Aaron Rodgers. He threw for 350 yards and four touchdowns. Come on, stop. Stop it already. Are you suge- so you're suggesting you're not concerned? No, about I'm the not injury. concerned. He wants out of practice. That's all that's all about. I'm not working, bro. Bro, I'm not working, bro. I, can't, I cannot put my best foot forward with Rex acting like this, bro. Yep. Uh, good pun on that. Uh, can't put my best foot forward. Uh, yeah, it's tough to do. We all know the history of Rex Ryan and feet. And if you don't, feel free to Google it. Maybe not on a work computer. Uh, but could have been worse. You could have been at work today trying to trying to hold in a chuckle around toe expert Rex Ryan. <laughs> all right, so if you had a bad weekend, I'm telling you, it could have been worse. You could have been the Lions uh, for any number of reasons. Just, you know, being the Lions is a problem enough. Uh, But not only did they lose again, they had 18 players with the flu or COVID. The Lions had, I believe, eight, eight practice squad players on the field to try to play an NFL game. Lost again. Like, it's not tough enough for the for the Lions, who, by the way, were finally mathematically eliminated from the postseason with their 1-11-1 record. It's official now. There is literally no way for you to come back and make it to the postseason and to do it with 18 players out to flu and COVID. They deserve better. I'm just saying that. And I'm in the NFC North, and I've enjoyed their misery, but those fans deserve better than that. All right, it could have been worse. Uh, you could be Urban Myers, Urban Meyer, or or many Urban Myers, which would be terrible if you were multiple because he's got it bad enough on his own. Uh, this is a team that is bad. This is a team that has also been mathematically eliminated. And the NFL Network releases a scathing report about him, about how he's handling his assistant coaches, who he allegedly called losers and requested some sort of resume explaining why they were qualified enough to be a part of his staff, him, a winner, them, losers, fighting with players. And then on the field, the 2-11 Jags managed to get just 189 yards of offense. Their losing streak is at five games. They were shut out 
to an undermanned Titan squad, and it was the first shutout since 2009. First time the Titans have pitched a shutout since 2018. Add it all to the list for Urban Meyer. And after the game, not only does he have to answer to getting a beatdown, but he's got to talk about the beefs alleged in that NFL Network report, the disrespect allegedly he's serving up to his assistant coach. Here's what he said about the reports that he was calling his assistants losers. It's calling someone a loser. That's inaccurate. I have high expectations for our coaches. I uh, very demanding of our coaches. Um, and expect guys to be held accountable for their positions. And at times uh, when they're not, those are we address it. Uh, but I assure you there is not whatever report. Amy told me something about that. That's nonsense. Yeah, that's basically an admission. Calling someone losers, that's inaccurate. I said they were uh, behaving in the manner of a person who loses. I you said are not one winners. pathetic loser. Right, yeah. Here's what he said about the leaks. What's the answer? Uh, start leaking information or some nonsense? No. No, that's nonsense. That's garbage. That's, uh, you know, that's once again, I've been very blessed. I've not really dealt with that. I've, I've not dealt with, well, did you hear what he said? What? No. Let's improve on offense and get our quarterback in a position to be successful. That's our focus. What someone's brother said or someone said, someone said, that will, that will occupy very little of my time. And if, if there is a source, that source is unemployed. I mean, within seconds, if there's some source that's doing it. Yeah, it could have been worse. It could be Urban Meyer. Uh, if you can't figure out why there might be leaks, you might want to look into that. Also, maybe you can't remember. Remember when you were at Ohio State, you said you had trouble remembering certain things? Coming up, Fitz is going to join us. He's going to talk about blowing up the Raiders. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We will be following along live with a couple things going on as Spain and Fitz continues. The Warriors and Pacers facing off. Steph Curry entered this game seven away from breaking the record for all-time threes. It's inevitable. We know it's going to happen. We were hoping it was with 16 in one game the other night. Not so much, but he's got a good shot at it tonight. And uh, I, I believe he's got one three so far in this one. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that. We'll let you know as he gets closer and closer to that as he's uh, looking to set the all-time record. Inevitability, but a nice thing to do. Also, we were keeping an eye on Monday Night Football. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. We've been talking about it all day Rams-Cardinals tonight in Monday Night Football. And Lewis Riddick, our ESPN Monday Night Football analyst, was on KJM this morning talking about he expects the Cardinals to take it to the ground against the Rams. They have a nice one-two punch with James Conner and, and Chase Edmonds when Chase is healthy. You know in a game like this tonight, again, it's going to be a major, major factor because the Rams don't like that. The Rams want to rush the passer. They don't want to play the run. I don't care what they tell you. They don't want to play the run. They like to rush. They like to get sacks. They like to get after the quarterback. Cliff recognized that. Cliff knows that that's what the, the, the NFL is about. Look, he's a guy who loves Bill Belichick, played for Bill Belichick. He admires the do-whatever-it-takes mentality to win football games. So he's not going to just throw it just because he wants to throw it because that's what he did at Texas Tech. And they built this team that way, and that's why. That's why this team's 10-2, and because they can beat you in multiple ways. 
They can beat you in multiple ways offensively, and their defense has really held this team together, even with Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins missing some games. Uh, They actually have the chance to clinch their first playoff berth since 2015 with a win tonight, the Cardinals can, while the Rams are trying to tighten that race in the NFC West. They beat the Jags last week, but before that, some struggles for a Los Angeles team that has really gone all in this season to try to win it all. And they have looked extremely susceptible uh, in recent weeks. Uh, they, 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 you know, really got behind Sony Michelle against the Jags. Um, Stafford looked fantastic, but that was against the Jags once again. So can Stafford have a great game against a winning team? Can he stay clean? Uh, we've seen him start off a, a handful of games with interceptions of late. So that's going to be a great one tonight, right here on Monday Night Football on ESPN. We also need to talk about some more games that we watched this weekend, including uh, the big. No, 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 not, fat not that one game. Not L that, not taken that one game. No, nope. the I've, Raiders. Oh, you're here. I've never oh, heard of I that game. I didn't realize you I were here. I was just going to start talking about the Raiders and how they lost forty-eight to nine, which is, by the way, a score gami. The first time in NFL history that that score has ever been posted. Congrats, Fitz. You're a part of history. Um, I'd like to thank also God the and Raiders, my life coach. And uh, with more turnovers Gandhi. than Patrick Mahomes had incomplete passes, which is a cool stat. Also, when they stomped on that halftime logo, it was the uh, the last time the offense would reach midfield until right before halftime. So okay. I guess it's good they paid a visit there early yeah. in the game. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you, uh, you, you have thoughts. You want to get into this game? Yeah, look, uh, there's a couple of things here. I, I fully expected. I think I predicted that the Raiders would lose by 30. So, you know, I was pretty close. Uh, I, I feel pretty good about that. Uh, I don't think that as much as a lot is made of the uh, jumping up and down on the logo, still the better team was going to be the Chiefs no matter what happened. Would I have incited that? No. But the biggest part about it is I can honestly say I've talked to people that cover the team. I've talked to some people that I I trust in the building. I've talked to people around it. This is the first time I've heard total and complete rebuild from multiple people, and Mm -hmm. that's the price that will be paid here. And Tony Sperano was a – uh, interim coach for the Raiders a few years ago. Some people thought he might have a shot at the job, and then they got their butts kicked. And Mark Davis, when that happens, when you see somebody just get blown out in a game, uh, that hits Mark Davis. I, I think that the significance of yesterday is that it, it it will result in wholesale changes. New GM, new coach, new quarterback. And, and that's the inevitability that comes here for the Raiders. The challenge, Sarah, is that you're in Vegas, right? And so I think what people have undersold here is that Vegas can't just – go and say, we're going to hire the best football brain to get the best coach to get the right quarterback. They need to have a star. Like, when you're on the Vegas Strip, you have to have star power to make people want to come to these games. They haven't gotten a local following yet. They've got to have a reason to people want to go to Raiders games. So I think they're in an unusually pressure-filled situation, not just to rebuild, but how do they make short-term, long-term decisions that are balanced around star power? Because otherwise, they're going to fall off the cliff quickly when it comes to brand recognition in the city. Fitz, you know, when the season started and they started off strong, um, I kind of messed around and joked with you, oh, is this going to be just like last year where they start out really great and then somehow they just take a nosedive? I didn't really think that would happen. I didn't really dive in deep to the schedule or anything. I just, it seemed unlikely to repeat that. And yet here we are. I know there's been a lot that's gone on in terms of drama around the coach, around players. But to what do you attribute the fact that they did start off looking like a contender and here we are again talking full rebuild? They went so hot early, especially throwing the football. You know, that it, I think John Gruden 
the the coach was a little undersold uh, in his ability to get the most out of it. The problem with this team, the biggest problem with this team, there are a few, but the biggest problem with this team is the offensive line is garbage, which is the fault directly of the Raiders. Remember, they chose to get rid of superstars on the offensive line to go younger, saying that they could figure out a way to live without Rodney Hudson, who's going to go to the playoffs uh, for the uh, the the Cardinals to live without the Trent Browns of the world who's going to go to the playoffs for the Patriots. I mean, they they rebuilt their offensive line around a bunch of probablys in their mind, and they were wrong on most of them. So now they have statistically one of the worst offensive lines in the league, which means they can't run the football. And on top of that, you have the rug situation, which is bigger than football, and you have a, a quarterback in Derek Carr that just obviously doesn't trust most of the receivers he has now. So you've got one or two weapons on an offense that was supposed to be full of them. So I think it's all of that together that sort of creates the awfulness of what we've seen. Fitz, what do you want to see happen to this Raiders team? Who do you want to stay? Who do you want to go? Well, I want Lewis Riddick to become the GM so that I can get free swag. Like, let's be real about it. Uh, oh, uh, but, the priorities yeah, have been no. revealed. But no, I, I what I what I would love to see, and this is this is I think every fan base should listen to this, not just because I'm saying it, but because it's the right way to do it. If you're going to make changes, you have to make changes from the top down in a way that everybody's on the same page. So what I want Mark Davis to do is I want Mark Davis to interview and talk to people and get as many smart uh, interviews as possible and talk and find one GM that he thinks is the end-all, be-all, this is the guy that can build it. And let that GM then control everything in the front office. Every personnel person in the front office, every coach, let them bring in the head coach that really they're sold on. Let that coach build the staff and then together come up with a plan for personnel. And what happens so often is that teams rebuild in stages. Look at the Giants. Like, if the Giants choose to keep Joe Judge but get rid of Gettleman, what have they really done? I mean, at some point you have to look at at the organization and say, if we're going to continually repeat the cycle, then we need to bring in one person that is going to be in charge of the entire tree so that we have accountability, but also so that everybody's making decisions together. Because otherwise, you end up with half-assed sort of, uh, you can't run a restaurant with 13 different head chefs. There has to be one head chef that plans a menu. That's a new GM. So they're going to have to start, as much as I like Mike Mayock, the person, they're going to have to start from the top down. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, represented by Progressive Insurance. Last bit here, I want you to listen to Derek Carr talking about the team jumping on the Chiefs logo pregame. One thing I will say is um, I always have my teammates back. And, uh, you know, I will forever have their back. And if that's what we're doing, that's what we're doing. And um, that's what I'll say. I hate that. I hate so that. So that's what so I want to ask you. Why do you. What don't you like about that? And is, is he still your guy? Is this still your quarterback? I love Derek Carr. And I think Derek Carr is going to win a bunch of games next year as the Steelers quarterback. But I, I think wow. realistically, <laughs> like I've been watching these man in the arena things. I kept thinking about that after I heard the, uh, the quotes because I've been doing these uh, post shows for the man in the arena stuff. Brady's of the world, the accountability captains of the world. Who is the guy in the locker room that's going to stand up and look at everybody and say, like hell, you're going to go towards that midfield. Stop, stand here, and we're going to go win the way we should win. That that's There has to be a particular person that can draw that message out. And what we learned in that quote, again, is it's not Derek Carr. And since it isn't anybody in that locker room, they're going to have to bring in that guy, that quarterback that can come in. And I don't even know for all the speculation that they'll try and bring in a Russell Wilson or any of these. Like, they need a quarterback that comes into the room and says, we do business this way, this is how it's going to be. And if they don't have that guy, then they're going to have to find somebody else with that dominant personality, which is difficult to do. Well, lots to be done by the Raiders and lots to get done 
Coming up, we're going to talk a little bit more about this and a potential QB move that he thinks the Raiders cannot let happen. Plus, lots of COVID news in sports, including the first cancellations in the NBA. We'll get into it. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We've got asked you guys for some help on some gift giving. And I'm, I mean, curious is to say the word on why so many of you guys are going straight to toilets. Guys like you don't die on toilets. At iPop editor hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, uh, giving us a suggestion of a toilet bowl light. Sounds crazy, but it's amazing when it's 2 a.m. and you're stumbling to the bathroom in the dark. Uh, okay, That's a good I, one for a bachelor, too. I feel like it's a little fe- different vibe if a solo guy has like a neon glowing toilet than like, uh, you know, a nice settled in family. I'm pretty sure if you go to somebody's house and you lift up the bowl and you see that it's like glowing in neon, you realize that <laughs> that person is into something weird. Do not go in there. Woo! This is Spain and Fitz. Fitz in his uh, glowing toilet, I think, was why he was late to the show today. A whole hour. I'm sorry about that. I hope. I'm not okay sorry. Now. It was it was worth it. I'm telling yeah. you. Yeah. You need to get that out. Spain and Fitz. Sarah By the Spain, way, have Jason I ever Fitz. told you, Sarah, that I have like incredibly, I mean, incredibly clean toilets. Like for a guy that, that lives alone essentially for 90% of my life. It is amazing. I am that person that cleans my toilets every few days. I scrub the inside of the bowl every few days. Like I don't like the water to sit. I don't know there. why I would need that information, but I'm I mean, glad I have it. Like I, you could, I, no, you see, could I come in told and told me that before. You could just come in and be like, "Hey, I want to eat that prime rib off that toilet," nope. and it would be completely well, clean. Well, I'm a vegetarian, yeah. and no, I would not be but, eating anything no. off your toilet, regardless of asparagus. How I mean, clean it is. Okay. We were just talking about the Raiders. Let's get back to that. <laughs> ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Pet protection comes free with auto collision coverage. Visit Progressive.com. This is Chris Canty on Canty and Golick Jr. today, talking about a different quarterback, not Derek Carr, going to a different city, but it's setting up some very dark thoughts from Fitz. Here we go. Why not be able to just have some low-level conversations about, you know, whether or not he would be interested in playing for ex-head coach? Like, to me, that's where I take it if I'm seriously interested in trying to get Russell out of Seattle. And I think that if you're a team like the Denver Broncos, that should be your priority because based on the cap space that you're going to have in 2022 and the roster that you currently have, a defense that's top five in points, top ten in yards, and an offense with the skill position players that they have, it just seems like it's it makes sense in terms of being able to to add Russell Wilson to a roster that's ready to do some high-level high level winning. All right, take it away. Yeah, I, I think the the problem here, if you're the Raiders, you got to be concerned, like I said earlier, not only does star power matter, but look at your own division. And, you know, we all know that Patrick Mahomes is going to be Patrick Mahomes, and everybody's talked about Aaron Rodgers to the Broncos for a long time. But if you're the Raiders, you can't sit here and look at it and say, we're going to take a flyer on a Jimmy G while we figure out what's going on in the draft, for example, and then watch the Broncos turn around and take Russ. And so it really makes me wonder if they're going to have to overpay no matter what it takes to simply make sure they don't get passed in the billboard opportunity that comes for having a quarterback like Russell Wilson. But to what we were talking about earlier, he's also not the definitive personality that will stand up and say, no, you're not going to go, go dance on the, uh, the, the midfield logo. So I feel like the, the Raiders find themselves trapped in a really strange situation where if they end up getting passed brand wise by Russ, not only will they get passed on the field, but it's going to make it even tougher to market long-term it's worst case scenario. And it may mean they have to overpay at that position just to make sure that they remain relevant. Yeah, there's a lot that's going to have to happen to the Raiders in the offseason, and at least the hope is that it happens, right? You do not want 
uh, this to be dragged on for years and years of mediocrity. There's already been enough disappointments of late. And, and quickly, uh, Sarah, I will say this. For everybody putting a nail in the Broncos' coffin, let's understand that they're 7-6. and six, And by tiebreaker, they're in 10th or whatever right now. But they have the same record as the Bills. Like, the, the Broncos are still in the playoff hunt. For all of this, they're going to get rid of Fangio and bring in a whole new regime. Like, the Broncos could easily make the playoffs. Nobody's talking about that. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, up for grabs at wild card spot. A lot of movement still could come in the coming weeks. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, let's transition. Uh, not only uh, does the NFL have to deal with some COVID issues, and we're seeing some of that at play tonight with the Rams having a couple players out. Total of 37 positive COVID tests today in Jeez. the NFL. That is the highest number of player positives since COVID began. This in addition to the fact that the NHL had to announce the cancellation of a number of games uh, because of, of, of COVID. The Flames without um, uh, enough players now. So three games postponed um, because six players and a staff member entered the protocol over a 24-hour period. And the Bulls leading the way in the worst possible way as the first team to cause postponements in the NBA. The next two Bulls games postponed because of 10 of the Bulls players sidelined and some team-related folks like Stacey King, one of the uh, broadcasters um, as well. Woj was on, um, uh, I, I, what's the name of the new show? No, this was uh, this was with Malika, but I forget the show's name. Thank you, NBA Today. I will I will get that in my head. I was gonna say the jump. Uh, NBA Today with Malika talking about the Bulls' COVID news and, and the decision to postpone. The fact that uh, Chicago, who would need eight eligible players to play, uh, this is just such a skeleton version of a team. And the fact that you know, listen, players are going to start coming back out of. COVID protocol, they may not be ready to play right away. Kobe White was at the facility yesterday trying to ramp back up. Uh, and certainly, you know, that the health of, you know, not just their players, but other players. You don't want other players on other teams to be exposed to, to bull players uh, who may be positive. And, you know, part of this decision, I'm told, to the Chicago Public Health Department, uh, they did not want to see this Bulls team uh, with 10 players in protocol uh, continue to be out on a court exposed not just to each other but other players and you know those were some of the factors uh, the most significant factors in the NBA postponing uh, Tuesday's game with Detroit Thursday's game with Toronto uh, so the Bulls do not play again until next Sunday at home against the Lakers. Fitz, the Bulls have added at least one new player to the health and safety protocols for three straight days since their outbreak started at the beginning of the month. This was so necessary, and it felt like it took too long, knowing that we didn't know, we know for sure that the spread wasn't contained and they were playing other teams. So, but what's causing all of this spread versus what we saw? I mean, forgive my ignorance, I just can't figure out why everything's out of control right now. Well, I don't know. I mean, the, the NBA's health and safety protocols, since there are such a high percentage of vaccinated players, have gone down in terms of um, the amount of testing. And it sounds like they will increase testing starting soon. They are also going to consider boosted players as what counts as fully vaccinated um, in terms of their testing requirements. There's also a report that just went out that the NBA is going to require um, tier one and two staff to get a booster no later than December 27th. That's coaches, front office employees, basically anyone whose job is interacting with players. Players are not required, but officials have said, you know, they, they should get it. 
Um, because as the effectiveness wanes six plus months after the original booster shots, um, plus everybody heads indoors, plus they're literally on top of each other in an indoor sport, um, that's, that's the spread. And you are five times less likely to get it when you're vaccinated, but it doesn't prevent you entirely. And obviously, whatever perhaps the new strain is, uh, perhaps that's part of it with the booster being required. Um, I don't know if it's, it is, it is shocking. Yeah, I, I can't figure out the answer, but man, everybody's going to have to. By the way, Spain and Fitz brought to you by Goodyear, making the plays that move you forward. Goodyear, more driven. I just thought I'd tell everybody. Yeah, uh, we'll get into all the COVID stuff, and we've been following it. We'll keep you updated, but uh, it's it's kind of widespread across a number of leagues. Coming up, though, we have to do what we do every Monday. Good take, hot take. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We've been talking a lot about Urban Meyer. Fitz, you missed it, but it could have been worse for both of us. We could be Jags fans. We could be Urban Meyer. We could be Urban Meyer's wife. I'm going to go with that's the worst. <laughs> uh, but I don't know if you saw the video of him shaking hands with Vrabel, never once taking his other hand out of his pocket, never once averting his gaze to look in Vrabel's eyes, just dead in the eyes. And, and I can't be the only one when I saw it to think of this. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Yeah, I mean, it was like... 100% dead inside as he walked off the field, not just to another loss, but a shutout. And he's going to be the first person who's the subject of this week's good takes or hot takes. Time to cut through the BS and rate the best takes of the day. Are they good takes? He would be the best quarterback in the history of New York to land here. Or hot takes. Hot takes. Give the damn ball and let him decide. But that's not the Green Bay way. Find out now on Spain and Fitz. Let's start with our guy, Ryan Clark. He was also part of uh, Could Have Been Worse Fitz. He had to sit on set with Rex Ryan while he talked about how he was a toe expert. Oh, that was awkward. I uh, really struggled through that. Uh, said he couldn't put his best foot forward today, mm-hmm. being expected to work alongside that. Uh, he managed to get some takes out anyway. Here's what he had to say about Urban Meyer. Every single action from Urban Meyer that we have known has been an action that says he is not a leader of men that he should not be the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And it started with who he decided to put on his team, who he brought to training camp, and every decision since then has been a decision that says, I am not the right man for this position. And what Shad Khan has to do as the owner is say, you know what, I made a mistake, Right. but this is not the guy. Completely agree. That is a good take from Ryan Clark. Unfortunately, there is a ton of money at stake here, but this is a good take, and he points him out, but... You know, I'll remind you that this is a guy who um, every time we think he's hit bottom finds another bottom. And I don't mean just the ones in college bars. Mm, I like Uh, that. Hey, Thank we don't you. know. Thank he you. might have just been sitting in the chair and has a tractor beam in his crotch. And it just sort of... It, <laughs> you just never know. Yeah, you there you never go. know what's I, happening there. But, I mean, at every turn, including in the initial attempt to hire Chris Doyle, to the incident with the young lady that is not his wife, to the alleged uh, insults for his assistant coaches, fighting with players. You uh, are Players laughing at him. Loser. Thank you. Yeah, like players laughing at him when he tries to explain away the incident in the bar. All of this added together including a vast and lengthy history of being a bad dude. I'm sorry, exhibiting the behaviors of a bad dude. And, man, you got to cut your losses before you ruin your young quarterback. Well, and a couple of things here. If he's going to destroy his assistant coaches as being losers, he should 
also acknowledge that that's a staff he assembled. So he hired a bunch mm-hmm. of losers, which is part of the problem. Now, when he was an analyst on TV, he said one of the most important things that you did, needed to establish to get great culture was trust. And what has he done to establish any trust? I mean, absolutely none. But I'm also going to look at Shad Khan and the ownership group of the, the Jags and say, what were you thinking? You had a window of opportunity when we were in the middle of all of the controversy around the bar and everything. They had a window of opportunity that I thought could have at least explored firing for cause, which would save them all this money. They didn't do it. And now coaching contracts fully guaranteed. I think it's going to be much more difficult to find an out that they don't have to pay Urban forever on. So whatever money Shad Khan loses in this deal, he loses because he wasn't proactive when he had his own opportunity. Losers, yeah, in other words. Well- he wanted to to make himself look okay on having made this decision and boasting about it. Urban Meyer has now lost as many games in one season with the Jags as he did in nine combined seasons at Ohio State and Utah. This hasn't been fun for him leader either, but he's got a lot of money on the line. And Mike DiRocco, ESPN NFL Nation Jags reporter, said as much on game night on ESPN Radio. I think there's a really good chance that he actually does come back. Um, really? I think huh. I do. Uh, you know, he's still, you know, after the situation in Cincinnati, you know, Shad Khan was not happy, but um, still supported Urban Meyer. And you guys got to remember, Shad sat up there at the press conference last year and said, and right next to, sitting right next to Urban Meyer, this time I got it right in regards to the hire. Um, you know, he'd have to pay a lot of money to dump Urban Meyer. Shot does not like to have to pay people that uh, are not working for him. He's had to do that for his last couple <laughs> coaches. His yeah, last I was going to say, well, I mean, that's a change there in Jacksonville, right? You know, Mike? I mean, <laughs> we could see. I mean, no one knows for sure what Urban's contract is, but, the, you know, the rumors out there are five years and roughly about $10 million a year. Whoa. So you dump Urban Meyer after year one, he's got to stroke a $40 million check. Yeah, Not but Shad Khan is worth $8.7 billion, according to the internet. That's worth even more than Sarah Spain. That's he right. can write That's those right. checks. That's a real billionaire right there. <laughs> Fitz, but, I mean, also worth noting, not just the $50 million or so to get rid of him, but then however much money you have to pay the new coach. That's, you know, $100 million total on the decision. But I'm with you. He has tons of money and one chance to get it right at quarterback, and Trevor Lawrence is not taking steps forward in this team. Yeah, you get it right at quarterback, you're set for the next 15 years, and Trevor Lawrence should have been that answer. So, you know, all kidding aside, for Shad Khan, you got to cut your, your losses earlier. The only problem, I think, the only reason some teams might be hesitant is I'm not sure that there's a proven commodity out there in the coaching market that everybody's looking at saying this is the guy. There's going to be a lot of jobs open. But that Jacksonville job with Trevor Lawrence would be enticing for mm-hmm. a lot of coaches to know that they could be working with that quarterback. So uh, get ahead of it if I'm Shad Khan. Frankly, Fitz, we also know that any NFL head coaching job is enticing. There's only 32 of them. Yeah. So even even the ugly ones, even the Lions. Sorry, Lions. It's Spain and Fitz. We're doing a little good take, hot take. I think Mike DiRocco's take is good because good. it's accurate that that's going to be a real sticking point. Not only that Shad sat up there and said, I got it right this time, but also the money. I just don't know if it's the right decision for Shad to make. All right, let's move on. Bruce Arians talking about AB today and seeming to imply that he is not entirely sure whether or not he'll allow Antonio Brown back to the team. When asked about, you know, the the return after the three-game suspension for the fraudulent vaccination card, he said, I haven't made that determination yet, but we'll see how it goes. And then he said this about the culture with the Bucks. 
Yeah, I think the culture's in the building, and uh, it's one team, one cause, and whatever it takes to win uh, the championship, uh, put your hand in the pile and do it. But, uh, yeah, I think all our veteran players, man, the guys that have been here for years, and uh, they've all bought into how we do things and how we work and what's anticipated and the um, level of expectation every time you step out on the field. So I think that's in stone right now. Hmm. So, you know, I'm just curious – uh, more so about is it is would it be a good take by him to bring him back? This was not only against NFL rules, but it was a federal crime. And we haven't talked much about Antonio Brown for a number of reasons. There's plenty of stars on that team that have played well in his absence. He's not a quarterback. We tend to focus on this kind of stuff with quarterbacks. But also because they don't necessarily need him. And they're a very good team who has played very well without him. Uh, should he be around this team? Yeah, I think it would be a hot take to put him around the team. I, I mean, I, I'd be out on bringing him in. I, what is, what's interesting to me, though, is it feels like it's a shift in power, a shift in conversation, because we all knew that Bruce Arians didn't seem to really be on that train to get into from the get-go, right? But Brady wanted him, so Brady got him. I just have to wonder you know, if this is some indication that there was a conversation of he's here, but one strike and he's out. You know, It's a very big strike, no doubt. But I'd, I'd be interested to hear from Tom because it always felt like Tom was the one that really wanted to make sure that A.B. was in the building. Yeah, and, you know, Alex Guerrero, Tom's trainer, was the person who was, I guess, trusted to photograph players' vaccine cards and send them to the team's head trainer. Hmm. He did not see any errors with it, didn't think that there was a problem, but that now ropes in TB's number one guy. And there's nothing necessarily malicious about his involvement in the story, but... Uh, you know, that just complicates things even further. And again, I don't know if there's going to be any legal action taken against him, but not only did Bruce Arians say before that there was no chance that they were interested in having him, and then they signed him, then he said if he does one thing wrong, takes one misstep, he's gone, which he's done. And so he continues to move the goalposts, change the expectations in order to keep him around. And you have to wonder how much of that is Tom Brady standing by him and liking him. Um, and, and this will be a real litmus test for that. And Spain and Fitz, a little good take, hot take. Back to Ryan Clark, this time talking about the Cowboys and Dak's poor play. Bottom line is this. The Dallas Cowboys are judged by championships. Yep. It's been a quarter century since they've had an opportunity to win one. This Dak Prescott, the guy playing football now, cannot win a championship. They cannot be a Super Bowl team with number four playing at the level he's yeah. playing at. So if that doesn't change, we'll be having the same conversation we've had for years about the Cowboys. Okay, so good take or hot take. The Cowboys cannot win if Dak plays like this. That's a hot take. Uh, the Cowboys now are defined by how strong they are defensively. I heard Field talking about that on the radio yesterday. They're, they're a defensive football team, and – uh, frankly, I've seen Trent Dilfer win a Super Bowl in my lifetime. So you got a defensive team that's really hitting on all cylinders. You can win no matter who your quarterback is. Plus, they still have a ton of talent on the offensive side of the ball. I think that's a good take. Ooh. Uh, first of all, I think it's wild that not only are the Cowboys sufficient on defense, but now they are a defensive team. Yeah. I have not seen this team play particularly well as a full unit, completely consistently across every phase in a while. And Dak Prescott struggling, especially those terrible turnovers against a good team in a playoff situation 
could be the turning point for that other team getting the win. That defense can do what they will, but if you're giving up easy pick sixes, if you're throwing interceptions that there's no excuse for, you are allowing that other team and then you're you're making things even more difficult for your defense. So I am I am not considering the Cowboys a true Super Bowl contender unless Dak picks things up. That's just they haven't played well enough recently. In my opinion, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your car, home, motorcycle, commercial auto, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. Coming up, some of the wildest facts and stats from the NFL weekend. Of course, again, inspired by the fact that the Raiders had more turnovers than Patrick Mahomes had. Complete. Uh, they what played was it? yesterday. I didn't yeah, know. Who it knew? was more turnovers than Patrick Mahomes had something. Incompletions. Uh, incompletions. Thank you. Uh, and we're going to get your craziest stats and, and, and info. And then some big news in Vegas. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Continuing to keep an eye on Steph Curry as he looks for seven threes to set the all-time record. He currently has three, three for nine from deep, 16 points as his Golden State Warriors trail the Pacers. 67 to 72 with about four minutes left to play in the third. Also, Monday night football underway. This is a big one. We've been keeping an eye on this as we see the Cardinals try to clinch a playoff berth and the Rams try to assert themselves against an actually good team. Cardinals up 3-0 after the first quarter. We did talk about Von Miller not yet getting a sack with Lindsey Theory. He has one now, but Aaron Donald did all the work. And then Von <laughs> Miller just kind of was standing there and touched him as he was already falling. and was like, sweet, got it. Uh, but he'll take it, I'm sure. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you. ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And we're brought to you by My Computer Career Training for a Better Life. Uh, we asked you... Earlier in the show, in light of some wild statistics about both the Jaguars and the the uh, the Vegas Raiders, what was the most crazy stat or fact that you saw this weekend? And you guys came through with a number of them. At trhane five three one, hit us up on the Dr Pepper Twitter feed as part of Spain and Fitz Nation. The refs called zero defensive holding and zero defensive pass interference penalties on the Bucks when Josh Allen attempted fifty two passes. Wow, absolutely flawless. So either the Bucks were indeed absolutely flawless, or somehow Tom Brady's team just didn't get any calls against them, including that late one that really could have turned the game around, but I'm not saying anything. Uh, great Chicago reporter who covers the Bears, does radio here in the city, said it's Chicago-centric, at David Haas, said it's Chicago-centric, but Tevin Jenkins had more penalties called on him for than Allen Robinson had receptions, too. Uh, ouch. Wow. Tevin Jenkins, out most of the season, had a back injury that uh, kept him out and was thrust into action with Jason Peters getting hurt. Uh, he did his best, and he had a great lift of Grant uh, that, that uh, Mina Kimes and Marcus Spears reenacted today on NFL yes. Live. If you have not seen that, please, please go to social media and find uh, find Marcus and Mina recreating the, the uh, dirty dancing move, uh, the Tevin Jenkins move. Uh, Allen Robinson has no excuse except for being on the franchise tag and not wanting to get hurt, so putting in very little effort right now as he looks for a better contract somewhere else. Uh, at Shelby Mayer, hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed with some news from Spain and Fitz Nation. The Jags had more penalties than rushing yards against the Titans. The Jags are a gift that keeps giving. Nine penalties for 79 yards, eight yards rushing total. Good God. Eight yards rushing total. By the way, more than half of those penalties called on the offensive line. 
Yoinks. Um, at Ashley Blue, Tom Brady needed three touchdown passes against the Bills to break the record for most touchdown passes against a team, a record that is currently held by Brady against a different team. Oh, my God. <laughs> just it's just gross. not fair anymore. It's just not fair. Uh, at Rad with a B, after falling to 111-1, finally the Lions were officially eliminated from qualifying for the playoffs. It is incredible. That there was still a way that they could get in up until the officially one eleven and one record finally put that dream to rest. And finally, this is a stat and a fact, not from this weekend, but it's too good, and it should always be remembered. At Couch Pro Athlete reminded us that nobody in history has ever sent a text message about the excitement over a Bengals playoff win, because the first text message was sent in December of 1992. And the Bengals haven't won a playoff game since 1991 versus the Oilers, a team that no longer exists. Oh, that kind of breaks my heart no for Jordan Cornette. That, that ever is just sent a text message excited about a Bengals playoff win. That does break my heart for Jordan Cornette. But again, it could have been worse. Uh, <laughs> at, I mean, least, uh, at least we don't have to deal with that. I've, I've, I've seen one winning season in 16 years. So you know right. what? I, I don't care about Jordan's pain anymore. I care about my own. We're going to get to Vegas because there's some news, but I have, a, I have a quick note on it could have been worse uh, that I didn't have time for before, and I'll get to it here. It's from the soccer world. Do you remember Sam Kerr decking that pitch invader, and the, the video went viral for giving him that shoulder shiver mm-hmm. as everyone kind of stood around and watched him taking selfies and videos of himself on the pitch? Well, this was in a Chelsea women's soccer game, and Sam Kerr got a yellow card for that, which, again, is moronic because the number of times we've said men's players handle an on-the-field streaker or invader and not have a penalty called on them is endless. But also, it was just revealed that the man who ran onto the pitch can't be arrested because the disorderly conduct law in England doesn't apply to the women's leagues. They do not consider the women's leagues as a, quote, designated football match. The rule was uh, made in the law in 2004. UEFA Women's Cup has been around since 2001. So they had multiple years of it being in existence, and they've had multiple years since to amend the law. And currently the law of what's considered a designated football match are only professional men's league games. So the guy cannot even be held legally responsible for the act, but she got a yellow card. So ultimately the only person punished in that was Sam Kerr. That's insane to me. Yeah. I can't even yeah. wrap my head around that. By the way, there I don't know. There are so if many microaggressions against women in sports that are just kind of unknown or un- underappreciated until a situation like this. And then you're like, wait, what? Which always comes back to the whole, like, maybe just sit down and think these things through when you're making laws right. and policies. I don't just know. Maybe that's, consider that's that yeah, just 50% maybe. of the pop- population is female. Uh, let's get to your, your Vegas news, Fitz. Tell everyone the big news. Yeah, the uh, Allegiant Stadium is going to be announced as the site of Super Bowl 58 in 2024 at the NFL owners meeting in Dallas on Wednesday. Sources have confirmed Ooh. to ESPN. So, you know, Vegas gets the draft this coming year. They have the Pro Bowl in January. Well, now they'll add a Super Bowl in 2024, Super Bowl 58. So I figured by then the Raiders will be picking third or fourth in the draft. I was going to say, that, in- that increases the eyeballs on the Raiders of, ooh, can they be the team that gets to play in their home state? Nope, no, nope. They're already, no, they can't. they're already below 500. No, they uh, I look forward to you promising you can get me into a bunch of places, including the stadium, and then not being able to. No, the Super Bowls, uh, we're all looking out for ourselves. Unless you get the tickets, in which case, hook me up. I already got tickets for this Super Bowl. Son of a biscuit! I haven't hooked you up. Sorry. Freddie and Fitzsimmons next. The entire Raiders team is going to be on the show. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. 
You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.